Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? You know, there are times when I look above and beyond. Oh, how appropriate. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we went to a concert last night. We saw Janet Jackson. Uh-huh. Janet Demita Joe Jackson, who's 57 years old. Yeah. Uh, she performed uh, the first show of the season at the Hollywood Bowl. What did you think? It was quite a show. It was really good. I mean... I was kind of su- surprised, well, at a couple things, really, but... Uh, the well, lip- first off, how how many times have you seen her? Um, I think this is my fourth. Fourth time? Or fifth. Okay. And then, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was kind of surprised at the limited number of backup dancers she has, but uh, she looked really good. Um, I liked all the costume changes, and uh, there's the, a fireworks show that was a surprise as well. Yeah, at the end, um, the final song before the encore uh, was Rhythm Nation, and I was surprised. I didn't realize, well, because of course I've watched footage on YouTube, but not all of the venues are outdoors. The Hollywood Bowl is. So during Rhythm Nation, she had a fireworks show that lasted the entire song. Uh-huh. It was a lot of fireworks. <laughs> with explosions that also were patterned to the beat of the song. Yeah, the timing of the fireworks. Uh, I mean, it was on beat, so that was really great. Oh, God. there, There's a dog going crazy. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I've seen her, I think, I mean, this might be like the 25th time I've seen her. Mm-hmm. Uh, this the, She only had four dancers, which uh, is the fewest number of dancers I've seen her with. she needed more on stage i think but it's just fun seeing her and she can still get down you know obviously she's a little more economical with her movements with her movements because she is a person of a particular age and on a on a tour and needs to make sure that she i guess you know has enough gas in the engine to keep going so yeah, I mean, it, she can still do what she needs to do, but she definitely reserves the dancing for like the big breakdowns that we all know, mm-hmm. the choreography we all know. She does that, but it's just been a really interesting journey to watch her. The first concert was in 1990, so I've been seeing her perform for 33 years, mm-hmm. and she still puts on a hell of a show. I, and I think a testament to her as an entertainer is. There isn't much happening on stage. It's just her, four guys, and a bunch of hits. She did bring out the Youth Orchestra of Los Angeles. Which was a little awkward, I think mainly because she's known for being so rehearsed and like Mm -hmm. every little, I mean, every breath is rehearsed. And then for this one, because it was the opening show of the season for the Hollywood Bowl, she did have the Youth Orchestra there. And they played... Uh, the instrumentation for the song again. They sounded fine. They sounded fine. She brought one little girl up who was cute. She was real cute. Yeah. Um, But clearly, you know, this isn't part of the normal show. (laughs) But this is also the most sort of like, she seemed really loose. Mm -hmm. Like kind of like she was having fun. Mm -hmm. And at one point she kisses one of the dancers. What did you think of that? I think we both looked at each other because she kisses this dancer very intimately, like they are like they're lovers, darling. Because initially, based on the camera view, we thought maybe she was pretending, mm-hmm. or I did. But then we get the side view, and she is really going in. They are they're sharing some tongue, and then she turns around. She leads him off the stage and turns around and gives this huge shit eating grin to the audience. So, I, I mean, she knew she did it because she knew people would talk about it, but. Um, Maybe she's dating him. I don't know. I mean, Madonna does it every year. She has a new 20-something-year-old boyfriend every year <laughs> who's um, also a dancer. So, What, what was his name? Diego? She the, said all their names on stage. His name I don't know, but we could look it up. Um, yeah, so that was interesting, and the crowd seemed to you know, be really into her. Last mm-hmm. night was also Mariah Carey performing for L.A. Pride which I'm sure people enjoyed. Well, a real diehard would have seen Janet in Riverside and then Mariah last night, (laughs) probably. 
Yeah, I mean, if you really love both, you would have seen one of her earlier, one of Janet's earlier shows to then be able to see Mariah. But um, I've seen Mariah a few times in concert. I don't know that I need to do it. I Especially never not like when I have to stand out like in a field somewhere. No, I never have. I've seen her perform uh, on TV. Uh, I, I think if we went to a concert and we had nice seats and we were comfortable, you'd enjoy it because you know the songs, even if they're not your favorites. And she has a couple I like. Yeah, and but but but, but you would recognize many of them. And she's 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 very funny. Like she does mm-hmm. kind of talk, and you know I think that's where she shines. It's but you know I forgot how many songs I actually do like by Ludacris. Oh shit. Ludacris opened for Janet mm-hmm. and he performed for like 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was recently reminded when we bought the concert tickets, I thought, let me add some Ludacris to my playlist. Yeah. He has a lot of songs. I like, we kept talking about his day one fans. Uh, and then we realized Nick is a day one fan because you can say every lyric to what's your fantasy. Well, I, we, I used to <laughs> sing that to my uh, peers in 10th grade honors physics because uh, <laughs> I, I just really liked that song, which was a bunch of. Uh, Do you want to give us a little? Uh, no. Okay. No, I'm, I, I was met with uh, disdain at, during my performing years as a 10th grader. But oh. They were also. To be fair, um, st- stuck up, uh, smart science kids. Well, moving on. Friday night, you were invited. I don't know why to uh, an outfest event. Yeah, I don't know why either. But I, I was happy. I'm happy to be invited in places. Well, I was very unclear what the e- event was even for. So it was Outfest LA, but then it was like Agbo, A G B O. Mm-hmm which is drag bingo. I think that name is terrible. Well, because it sounds like the name of like some monkey and something like the Swiss Family Robinson. It doesn't sound like what it is. And then I I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, if it's drag bingo, I don't know. Like, I mean, can't you just do like, I don't know, Dringo or (laughs) Dragbo? I don't know why it has to be Agbo. But it was at a venue downtown that looked like like a workspace. Mm Mm-hmm. Kind of like my workspace, like at my job, mm-hmm. like a tech open concept. So that was interesting. And they had uh, alcohol and food. They had lots of alcohol. Lots of alcohol. And, you know, I they had a, a like a signature cocktail made out of ginger. That's pretty good. And you don't like ginger as much as I do, but I would like to incorporate more ginger into my life. Mm-hmm. Uh and then pizza from Triple Beam Pizza. Which I like, but it was very cold. And you time. like it more than I do. I think it's a hard sell for me because Triple Beam is right next to Masa. Yeah. Which is my favorite. So I don't know under what circumstances would I say let's eat Triple Beam over Masa. But Usually it takes someone's intervention for that to happen. Yeah. But by the time that we had gotten there to have the pizza, it was about the consistency of leather. Uh, well, the event started at 6 and it appeared as though the pizza arrived at maybe five yeah <laughs> so by the time we got pizza it was very cold and it did have the consistency of like yeah i had to work i had to, my mandible was uh but they did have this green bean dish they did have a good bean dish it was like sauteed green beans with spinach and hazelnuts and you know hazelnuts aren't cheap no they... shout out to um hell's kitchen in downtown minneapolis because they have a porridge, mm-hmm. a wild rice porridge, a wild rice porridge with cran- cranberries and hazelnuts that I think is so good. And I tried to make it one time, and you, and that's when I realized hazelnuts were expensive. Because <laughs> were we in Malibu? I think your mom and sister were visiting. Yeah, actually, and we did. were looking for Kurt Russell's house in Malibu. Yeah, and I think we stopped at like a Bristol Farms in Malibu, mm-hmm. and, and we we found the house. It was sold i think yeah. it was, had just been sold but yeah tr- thinking that hazelnuts at a bristol farms in malibu would be reasonably priced <laughs> oh yeah no well it's just like you know rhubarb in la uh, is expensive and that's damn weed yeah you go to minnesota it's on the side of the road i w- was in my yard growing up for people who haven't seen it go on youtube and look up like i mean you could probably just look up 
Oh. Crazy rhubarb lady. Crazy rhubarb lady. And it's this woman like stealing rhubarb off someone's property. <laughs> well, she's being chastised by some other nosy Parker. Uh, yes. <laughs> who's the, the, the woman like telling her she shouldn't be doing that seems like a very, you know, square Midwestern woman. And the woman stealing the rhubarb sounds like a demon. She does. It's that's the, the creepiest part. <laughs> we can move on. I read something in people people magazine online oh yeah about anthony hopkins hating his marvel work yeah the, <laughs> head, headline. the headline is anthony hopkins says working on thor was pointless acting sit on the throne shout a bit yeah <laughs> so he's referring to his role as king odin of asgard i mean that's apt uh I also saw stuff this week about Chris Hemsworth being all butthurt that Tarantino, Tarantino and Scorsese don't like Marvel films. So he's like, I guess they don't like my work. That's a tough one because, I mean, it is people enjoy it. So that's the purpose of, I don't know, I still maintain like we, we can't judge what people like. Like a lot of people like the shit. So we, what do you mean we can't judge what people like? Well, no, I mean, it's like being judgmental about like Marvel's crap. And it's like, well, if you don't like it, you don't, you don't like it, but clearly a lot of people do. And isn't that the point of art is that for people to enjoy it and hold, hold up art? art. Well, I think it's very like, I mean, I think that that attitude mm. is dangerous because then it's like, well, I think I know what's best and I, like I'm an arbiter of good taste and what and what people should enjoy. I think that's weird. Like, sure, but if gonna, you don't like it, you don't like it. You don't have to watch it. Like, no, I'm. You know, I think we should all be aware that we are arbiters of our own tastes. I also think, you know, like when Anthony Hopkins did the first Thor movie, that was in 2011. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I mean, I think we knew what these movies were about. They weren't at the level they are now. Like. It wasn't as out of hand as far as like we're just going to keep making these movies and try to make them all make sense somehow together but even in 2011 it was like well you know what you're doing you're making a superhero movie and you were also younger so your senility hadn't kicked in fully yet so i just kind of feel like you agree to do something it's just it's okay to be critical yeah but at least he's aware but his comments were like, they put me in armor, they shoved a beard on me, sit on the throne, shout a bit. If you're sitting in front of a green screen, it's pointless acting. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, if if there would have been that technology 70 years ago, mm-hmm. maybe those classic Hollywood films would have had some green screen acting too. Because they do do like when they're driving and you can- well, I, t- I don't know that green- And screen, all the backdrops they paint. Like, I don't know that that's useless acting because, you know- <laughs> Because I read that you know Sigourney Weaver interviews at nauseum, and her talking about doing the motion capture for Avatar is like, oh, she relates it to being like on stage where you have to pretend there's this whole world around you and make the audience believe it. Yeah, I would think that makes more sense. Like you're you're acting probably harder because you have to do make believe in your head mm-hmm. of like what's going on around me and how tall is this thing I'm supposed to be looking at and what's over here and look over there and but i still like anthony hopkins i just thought it was interesting like you know but also these older hollywood men have a tendency to just say shit oh yeah because they don't give a damn anymore Mm -hmm. you know i want to read brian cox's memoir because i guess he just doesn't give a shit there was a question can you explain the difference between the palm d'or and grand prix and are they awarded in the same year Yes, the, those are both awards given out at the Cannes Film Festival for each the, the, at, at each ceremony. Because so the Palm d'Or, the Golden Palm, that's the top prize. That is, and they have I know that they have rules, but I don't know exactly what they are. Because for instance, whatever wins the top prize can't win something else, like oh, like Best Actress or Best Screenplay, or they they have rules for what wins at the top. The Grand Prix is kind of the second place prize. So that is, yeah, that it, exactly that. It It's a step below the Palme d'Or. And then they actually have a third place prize that's called the Jury Prize. The Grand Prix is also called the Grand Jury, which is kind of confusing. But Grand Prix, a.k.a. Grand Jury, second place. Jury Prize is third place. Thank you for that. We also have some entries in the sorry to this man section. Yeah. First off. Fast and loose this week, huh? 
the movie uh, Dolly Land, which we have a YouTube review for. Neither of us know, I guess, well, I know we don't know who Suki Waterhouse is, but then Nick said, and I went along with it because I don't know, that Suki Waterhouse is in True Blood, but in reality, the character he was thinking of, the character's name is Suki Stackhouse. That's true. That's my bad. But then <laughs> and she's played by Anna Paquin. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. we still don't know what Suki Waterhouse is known what for. What did she become known for? Why was she all of a sudden something? I didn't bother to look her up, but, but yeah. Uh, Suki Stackhouse. What? How interesting, though. What a unique name, Suki Waterhouse and Suki Stackhouse. But yeah, so I've never we've watched, never watched True Blood. I've never watched True Blood, and somehow in my mind, I think it was about the time the Bad Batch came out. I just, I, I don't know who did this to me or who cast the spell on me, but in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that's she's notable because of that because I, I can't explain why she's all of a sudden the lead in indie films. Okay, then we reviewed a movie called The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster. And I thought Denzel Whitaker was Forrest Whitaker's kid. <laughs> I, I, but I've thought that for years. And maybe that's because Denzel Whitaker plays Forrest Whitaker's kid in The Great Debaters, and they look like they could be. They look like they, they could be related. Father, son. Mm-hmm. But uh, Denzel Whitaker is not related to Forrest Whitaker. He's not related to Denzel Washington either. But um, he is I, from he is from Torrance, California, though. I just thought Forrest Whitaker was a big Denzel fan, <laughs> and named his. So we've so so we've corrected those. Um, it's just, you know for years also as a kid, I you couldn't tell me that Joan Osborne was an Ozzy Osborne's sister. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, that's a leap. Okay, films released we didn't cover, 97 minutes. Oh, zooming right along. Uh, yeah, on, in a, on a slow week, we probably better watch them direct like this, but it stars Jonathan Reese Myers and Alec Baldwin, and I think it's about a plane being hijacked. Uh, and it's directed by Timo Veroncella, the Finnish guy who did the Iron Sky movies, you know, the Nazis on the Moon movies. Yes. Next is Americond. Uh, it is sounds like a very depressing documentary directed by Sean Claffey. Oh, you've seen this movie, Flamin' Hot. I have, uh, and I, I didn't love it, and I, you didn't seem very interested in watching it. Well, because you said you didn't love it. It's corny, <laughs> but you know the lead guy, Jesse Garcia, is giving a good performance. It's Ava Longoria's directorial debut, and it is about the origination of a janitor working in a chip shop uh, originating the flavor for of flaming hot cheetos next mending the line uh this is a veteran drama directed by joshua caldwell uh and starring brian cox and cinquo walls who we just saw in the not very good remake of white men can't jump persian lessons you know i saw this in berlin oh probably God, probably 2020. Oh, uh, I want to say because I, I saw this in a theater in Berlin, at the Berlin Film Festival. Anyway, it's Vadim Perelman, who about 20 some years ago was a big deal because of House of Sand and Fog, starring Ben Kingsley and Jennifer Connelly, which was a film I liked. And then his follow up, I think, was kind of a big flop. But I kind of remember liking that, too. It's called The Secret Before Her Eyes. But you know what? I haven't seen it since it came out, so I might think differently now. Uh, but he had a new film starring Lars Eidinger as a Nazi officer who desires to learn Persian. And he asks one of his little victims in whatever concentration camp they're in who speaks it, and Nahel, Nahel Biskayart says, oh, I can speak Persian, and then proceeds to teach this man to save his life. Uh fake Persian because he can't speak. Anything. Oh, God. <laughs> so this big W is out here. It It's it's an okay film. It's worth a watch. Lastly, Scarlet. Uh, this opened the director's fortnight last year at Cannes, uh, directed by Pietro Marcello, uh, whose Martin Eden we reviewed. I think it was just me that watched it, though. Uh, this I had high expectations for. I even uh, went so far as to read the Russian novel it's based on by Alexander Grin, which is very much, 
has a flavor of something like Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, but tells the story of this woman throughout 20 years. And I had to say, I think the film was rather dull. But anyway, that came out. Oh, projects of interest. Something by Catherine Bigelow. Oh, yeah. Some, somebody got bitched at because uh, the director of photography of some new project that nobody knows about, uh, Arsene Kachaturn, apparently posted something on Instagram, like a clapperboard of the film. Oh. <laughs> that has since been deleted. And uh, anyway, Catherine Bigelow's got a new movie coming out, y'all, which good because I didn't like Detroit. Not the city. No, the, the film, which is about racist cops in an incident in 1967 you didn't watch that movie no Ugh. next something with shia labeouf uh shia who <laughs> abel ferrara cast him as the lead in padre pio and it was you know his first time working after his drama and it's not very good i thought it was in venice last god was that yeah, in 2022. Anyway, apparently they got along, Abel and Shia, and he, Shia LaBeouf is writing a film about Auschwitz. Oh. I feel like, you know, there are some stories that you aren't qualified to tell maybe, but I'd be interested to see what they come up with. Next, Spectators. Uh, Arnaud Desplechon has a new film that he's making, and all that I know about it has something to do with movie theaters. I sure hope it's a lot better than his last film, Brother and Sister, with Melville Poupeau and Marion Cotillard, which still hasn't come out here, but I can't wait till it does because it is so over the top. It, it, it's camp. Lastly, Lost Flowers of Alice H., the Last Flowers of Alice Hart, I just wanted to give a shout out because we talked about it when it was filming, but uh, the trailer dropped this week. Mm. Let's take, Morning Weaver. Let's take a break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Movies we watched for fun. The Bride oh. of Chucky. Oh, we weren't. You weren't going to talk about Scorny doing an Australian accent. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it was interesting, but she's not known for her accent work. She's done British. She had a British accent in that one movie about the big monster. A monster calls. She had a British accent, The Year of Living Dangerously. And that accent was... Isn't her mom British? Her mom is British. Uh, was, yeah. Uh, she, well, she does this up, this upper crust stiff thing. Yeah, I was a little concerned. And then her accent in The Lost Flowers of Alice H. Right? That's what it is? Lost Flowers of Alice Hart. Yeah, that was interesting. But movies we watch for fun, Bride of Chucky. Yeah, you know, I, neither of us have ever seen this. 1998, I guess, cult classic. Uh, Ronnie Yu of Freddy vs. Jason in The Bride with White Hair fame directed. And the only reason to watch this movie is Jennifer Tilly. To be fair, I wasn't in the mood, maybe. I think if I were in a better mood um, and maybe watched it in a theater, I would have more fun. Mm. But... I do think there are a lot of missed opportunities. And the best part to me is Jennifer Tilly. I mean, and, and then the two dolls interacting. So the fact that we have this trio of dum dums. Well, it's like Catherine Heigl. We have to spend all this time on her character and the gay character and then the hot boyfriend of Kit. Like, okay. I didn't give a damn about it. They that. were, I mean, they had moments, but mm -hmm. I definitely thought they were squandering the best parts of the film um well when uh jennifer tilly's doll i'm forgetting her name get, get, gets like lit burnt. on fire or something that is so funny and she is like burnt to a crisp at the end and is heartbroken at chucky's treatment of her uh that's and, where the film shines yeah then there's baby born oh my god looking like candy muse i would be willing to watch it again uh maybe if there's like a screening someday Sure. I, I might enjoy it more. Next, Chicken for Linda. 
that title. Uh, it's an animated film that was in the Acid section at Cannes this year. I had a screener for directed by Sebastian Laudenbach and Chiara Malta, which I didn't really care for. It was only 70 some odd minutes and outstate is welcome by well before then, I thought. Loving couples. What do we know about that? Uh, Did I watch it? You were in the room while I was watching it. Okay. Uh, so it's the 1964 debut of uh, Swedish actress Mai Zetterling directed a handful of films. That Criterion put three of them out on this little set that I'm supposed to review. Uh, but this is the first one. She reutilizes uh, Sven Nickvist, uh, the cinematographer, and a whole posse of Ingmar Bergman's usual suspects uh, for this film that... T- tells a story of three women in their relationship to childbirth and then kind of has a really interesting uh, setup of flashbacks that where we find out information about them and where they all became pregnant from. And one very excellent uh, scene that unites all of them under a midsummer celebration. yeah, I really like this. I thought it was, it feels shocking, shockingly ahead of its time. Apparently it was, uh, uh, people protested against it when it premiered at Cannes, but uh, just how frank it is that there's queer characters. Uh, it's, I was very impressed. Oh, I watched the Netflix series Mer People. Uh, I was wondering who was watching that. Uh, I assumed your mother, but... No, she has her own account. I know, but then I assume there was some mistake because I don't know why you're watching mer people. The description, welcome to the whimsical world of professional mermaiding where people's passion for swimming in this, uh, in fins, has exploded into a half billion dollar industry. It's from the producers of Queer Eye. Of, uh, of course. There are only is. four episodes. I I found it interesting. It is very queer because obviously any of the men who are participating in mermaiding are obviously homosexuals. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. And a couple of them seem really sweet. One of them had one of the ladies who's also queer uh, is like has a lot of anxiety. So seeing her like building up the courage to actually get in the water with people watching her was interesting um but i did think god we will make drama out of anything because mm-hmm. even these mermaids who want to just be happy and swim somehow they find a little bit of drama in there and yeah but there is a there are some meaningful moments like one guy owns like a a, a business that makes mermaid tales and they do shows and he has a friend with a drug problem and he's been helping him and there are some side stories that I thought were sweet, but I think the thing that was most compelling is the final episode. There's like a reunion, like a 75 year reunion um, with like a lot of women who were doing mermaiding like back in the day Oh, and seeing them. And like, I actually would have loved a documentary just about those women. Sounds very league of their own. It was, it's interesting because it's not as sensational as like some other things. Cause I wa- you know, like watching that documentary about the plushies or, or zoo, uh, you know, mm-hmm. or even like, well, the one about tickling, that one was interesting. Cause that guy, that was creepy. Yeah. That was more creepy, but this seemed pretty sweet and, um, it zipped on by. All right. Next rapping. Oh my God. Oh my God, you need to watch Rappin'. I watched it in preparation for something I'm writing, but uh, <laughs> Mario Van Peebles is the lead, who I like well enough. Uh, and then as I started, I realized we're in trouble when it was directed by Joel Silberg, who we saw his film Catch the Heat. Which was fun. Uh, which was fun, but fucking was terrible. terrible. And this to Catch the Heat wasn't too far after this, so... And apparently Rappin' was made in response to an earlier dance hit film called Breakin', uh, which I haven't seen. Oh my God, the the hip hop in this is atrocious. It is really bad. Uh, and Mel, uh, Mario Van Peebles was overdubbed by Ice-T and, and Master G. Ice-T shows up for a performance in the film. Uh, the, ugh. It was really bad. Like what this, like when white people direct hip hop shit is what it felt like, and but didn't understand anything about it. Um, I, I recommend you 
you give it a gander next a woman kills a woman kills i won't say too i'm supposed to write about this for us but i got uh, somebody put this out. It's kind of a lost film. Somebody put this out. Uh, well, the restored it and everything. It's only an hour and 10 minutes directed by Jean-Denis Bonan. Bonan. Uh, and it is from the French New Wave. It's set in the 1960s about uh, somebody killing women, a serial killer. And uh, a woman is executed. And then it, the murders keep happening. So we find out who it is it felt very much kind of like early jacques rivette to me it felt like paris does not belong to us except for yeah anyway you skipped a movie on this list verkmeister harmonies oh go ahead mm -hmm. uh they had a, a screening of the restoration uh at the cinematheque in santa monica on tuesday that i uh happily went to because i haven't seen this um and, and i do really like bellatar and I'd say this is probably his masterpiece, but it's from the film uh, from the from the year two thousand. They sh they flew Bellatar out here. He gave a Q and A, uh, and I'm I'm reading the book. It's based on uh, the melancholy of resistance, which feels a lot different. It, the book is very verbose and kind of free flowing consciousness almost, and the the movie is not like that at all. But it beautifully shot, and it is weird and excellent and has a nice plum-sized role for hannah shigala uh yeah I, I was into it the werewolf of washington this is garbage this was straight up garbage but i was attracted to it because it stars john stockwell or dean stockwell uh as a man who's dating the president's daughter we're told we're told this in the opening like narration and he's tired of her ass so but he doesn't want to sacrifice his career to break up with her so he takes a he, he gets asked to be sent to Budapest and immediately gets bitten by a werewolf and then comes back. <laughs> oh, I saw the scene where the U.S. president is in a, hel in a helicopter with the Chinese prime minister. prime minister and then someone is turning into a werewolf. He, Dean is turning into a werewolf in front of their eyes. And, and, and luckily, uh, the transition is done right as they're landing. Uh, it's the second, and I think he didn't direct any films after this, by Milton Moses Ginsburg, but... Uh, apparently he's well this film was not received well but uh he is known for a, an earlier film called coming apart with mm. Rip, which which i have a copy of which, that'll be a chapter in my book uh-huh uh, okay chinua achebe uh and they the oh, coming apart is a very apparently well received rip torn performance that i'll hopefully get around to watching but uh yeah Splendid. world of washington is hard to sit through just cause this was dull to me. isn't there a movie with common called you continue oh just right you're right yeah just with right queen latifah. where queen latifah is his love interest <laughs> they're 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 a little mismatched in that i think pam greer is a mama on that pam greer is in it paula Patton. yes felicia rashad yeah um i've seen i've only seen that once Anyway, just cause I'd never seen. It's directed by Arnie Glimcher, who didn't direct a lot of movies. He did direct the Mambo Kings with Antonio Banderas and uh, who's that man that my mom liked uh, from the, who played Gotti? Armand Asante. Oh. I'm pretty sure Armand Asante is in that. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to see Mambo Kings. I never have. Anyway, he was more of a producer. He he notably produced Gorillas in the Mist. Uh, he directed this film based on a novel. I didn't, it, it's not very good. I thought it has some twists that I thought were a little stupid, but anyway, Sean Connery is this Harvard professor that's, uh, lured back into, uh, court by trying to assist this young man played by Blair Underwood, who is on death row. His grandma, but Ruby D, uh, is, is goes to him for help, uh, and then he he successfully gets him off. It seems that the cops that arrested him, you know, browbeat him and literally beat him into a confession. One of whom is played by Lawrence Fishburne, who I, in my opinion, has nothing to do in this film, even though he looks good. Um, and then Ed Harris is this other vicious killer in prison. And it turns out, do you want me to ruin the twist for you? Yes. It turns out Ed and Blair were colluding 
uh, for collusion. There was collusion uh, with Gina and Blair Underwood gets out. It, thanks to Ed Harris saying he killed this little girl and then goes and murders Ed Harris' parents. <laughs> I feel like I saw part of this. You did see part of this. Because Blair Underwood's coming to my, and, oh, yes, yeah. And then It she, looked dull to me. It was very dull. And then Sean Connery is married to <sighs> Kate Capshaw, who is much too young for him. Uh, and I couldn't place who I thought she resembled in this film with that yellow hair. Anyway, Kate Capshaw is also a lawyer. And another, the twist, the real, tw- the real, real truth is uh, she had prosecuted Blair Underwood's character on a previous uh, rape or assault charge and some technicality got him off. But because of her doing, he was placed in prison for some time and apparently was castrated. And so has a grudge against her. Anyway, it also Blair it, was castrated. Yes, but then it all the the show the denouement is basically lifted from Cape Fear, where we're in the swamp and Blair Underwood's big plan. He's kidnapped Kate Capshaw and Scarlett Johansson, the six-year-old daughter. That he's going to rape and or murder both of them and is eventually eaten by alligator. Uh, Christopher Murray is kind of giving me Ewan McGregor. In in Just Cause? Mm-hmm. Is he the white cop? Yes. Sure. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, oh, and then Kate Capshaw is kind of giving me Catherine O'Hara. Maybe it's just the angle. Oh, she Catherine O'Hara does a voice in Elemental. Oh, yeah. Uh, lastly, I watched the Netflix documentary, Anna Nicole Smith, You Don't Know Me, which I think is funny because there was nothing about this story I didn't already know. <laughs> so You Don't Know Me is like, well, I don't know what, it wasn't illuminating, but maybe that's because for my age range and the fact that I would watch all the, she, I did watch her um, reality TV show on E! and of course, I used to watch like the E! True Hollywood mm-hmm. story. Like, I'm very familiar with Anna Nicole Smith. So this documentary wasn't anything I didn't know. But it wasn't enlightening. No, but it certainly is sad. And Yeah, what an odd, bizarre. But the, the most disturbing part of it is her. Well, because, you know, it's like he said, well, it's, it's she said, she said, because Anna Nicole would. She basically said her mom was like a monster mm-hmm. and that her mom like abused her and was awful to her and let men come into the house to rape her. But the mom is saying that's not true. That of course the mom was actually quite nice and that Anna told her that she only said that because she gets more attention if she has a sad life story. But then three people all I mean, the mom says that it's not true. The brother says it's not true. And Anna's best friend says that that story she told is my story. Oh. Like everything that Anna, like there's some interview that Anna did with some, you know, whatever, uh, Dateline or not Dateline, uh, Good Morning America. I don't know. But her friend is like, yeah, every, like every word she says is like what I told her about my childhood. So... Mm. And then there are other people like her bodyguard, her longtime bodyguard, who talk about how like she played up being like drunk and high. And oh, I believe that. So like when she that famous MTV, I think it was like Video Music Awards thing where she awarded what's it Kanye Kanye West an award, the one where she's like she looks like she's super high. Mm-hmm. The bodyguard was like, she did that. On, like, she was fine. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she got off stage, she was fine. But she knew she got more attention if she acted like a mess. I mean, it's, that's not just like Paris Hilton and uh, Nicole Richie on A Simple Life. Right. Like, it's all an act. Yeah. So it's interesting to see sort of like the originators of this type of celebrity where it's like, I don't really have any skills, but, you know, I'm famous. And then I parlay that into something. The one thing I didn't know. And this is because the case wasn't settled until 2018. So, of course, by then I had didn't give a shit anymore about this story. But, you know, originally she her she, she was married to J. Howard Marshall, that billionaire. That old man. Who yeah. made money off of oil. 
So he said he wanted to leave half of his money to her. And of course, the son contested it and it spent years and years and years and years in court. Finally, she was awarded a large sum, not half. It was maybe close to like 100 million, not the probably 600 million she should have received. Still, that's a good take. But it was still being held because there were disputes. And then it wasn't until 2018 that it was finally settled that, that like there will be no money. Because, of course, Anna died and then it was... Well, her son died first, and then Anna died, mm-hmm. and then there was a battle between, oh, that awful lawyer. Do you remember that her, she had like a boyfriend, quote unquote, who was also an attorney named Howard Stern? Do you remember him? I do, yeah. Oh, he was such a creep. They were trying to pretend that he was the father of her baby. That's right. But then that other guy, Larry Burkhardt, with that awful center part blonde hair, mm-hmm. who looked like a homosexual, he was saying, I'm the, ba- the baby's daddy. So then that was being contested. Finally, when she dies, they do the testing and realize that he's the father of Danny Lynn. Mm -hmm. So then it's like, well, she'll inherit this $100 million trust. But then in 2018, it was decided that she's not entitled to that money. God. So all this, and then no one ended up with money. But all these people latched onto her the best laid plans of mice and men. I mean, the frenzy that the documentary shows when J. Howard Marshall died. And of course, everyone thought, oh my God, Anna Nicole Smith is getting half of a billionaire's fortune. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was like she was being sued from every which way by people trying to get money from J. Howard mm-hmm. because she's his wife, technically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was crazy. And also watching her on like the Sunset Strip and hearing the paparazzi talk about that environment and how these celebrities knew what they were doing, which I always said, because even living in LA, it's like, you know, the areas where the commotion is. Yeah. You could, you could easily stay away. Very easily. LA is sprawling. You can get right away from it. And for people who don't know, TMZ stands for three mile zone. And it's that area that's like West Hollywood, Beverly Hills, kind of going to the Grove and up to Hollywood. Like there's a specific area where, all the crazy shit happens that people see on TV related to like LA. Mm-hmm. But you could, that's why a lot of like people in the industry live in the Valley, like studio city. No, mm-hmm. it's just over the hill yeah. and you could have less but chaos. Jennifer Lopez does not need to shop at Zara at the Grove. So you know that when she does, she's trying to be seen. Yeah. So I, the documentary, I think is well put together. And for a person who, if a person doesn't know anything about Anna Nicole Smith, I do think it's informative, but moving on, thankfully there are no entries in the obituary section. So let's take a break before we talk about the secret movie. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our secret film today was my choice. I wanted to do something gay or queer or trans uh, since it's Pride Month. So I chose the 1992 thriller film, The Crying Game, directed by Neil Jordan. Mm-hmm. What do I know from Neil Jordan? Uh, Interview with the Vampire, of course. Okay. But we reviewed his last film, Marlowe, with Jessica Lange and Liam Neeson. Oh. Which notably, I, I, I'm pretty sure, I think it might be the only or one of the only films not starring his usual collaborator, Stephen Ray. Oh. Which I remember being surprised at when we reviewed that. Stephen Ray is an interview with a vampire? Yeah. Oh. He's part of the troop that the Europe that European troop of vampires that take down uh Louis and Claudia for killing their master Lestat. I need to rewatch Interview with a Vampire. I keep saying that. Um I I am a fan of his film and there's a lot of you know, I think he tried to make it as queer as he could. Um, and I, I feel you must have seen Breakfast on Pluto. Is that with, uh, Killian Murphy? Um, no, but no, I haven't, 
but it made me think of that video of Killian Murphy and like all his mean looks. <laughs> he has like a sour face. Oh, and you've you've seen Greta with Isabel with Isabel Neil Lucera. Jordan did that. Yes, he did. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Well, quite the accomplished person. Uh, the Crying Game won an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best actor for Stephen Ray, best supporting actor. Oh, I didn't know that for Jay Davidson. Yes. Wow. And best film editing. Mm -hmm. I think it's excellent. It is, but you know, it's funny to think back like there, since there simply was nothing else that kind of sparked public interest like that about trans stories that this immediately, this film became the butt of so many transphobic jokes in the nineties. I had never seen it. And I knew that there was a trans, like, I thought it was about a trans person and like, that was the star of the movie. And no, he's the secret, but, uh, Jay Davidson plays a character named Dill who is presenting as like a trans woman. She's, I mean, she's a supporting character for sure, but the story is not at all what I thought it would be. It's, I didn't realize, I didn't realize it was more of, sort of like a suspense thriller yeah i thought it was like a romance drama type movie yeah no and then the poster art um that i know is that which is what's on your dvd of miranda richardson mm -hmm. so i guess it never occurred to me that that wasn't the trans woman <laughs> like i knew that dill is like a person of color mm -hmm. but i guess in the cover art i thought oh maybe that's a photograph of dill with a wig on or something sure so yeah, I was very surprised. But the basic story is that Forrest Whitaker is a member of the British Army, and he's in Ireland, mm -hmm. and he gets snatched up by some IRA people, mm -hmm. like holding him hostage. Uh, and the main, well, it's Miranda Richardson and Stephen Ray, and then the other guy, Adrian Dunbar, who you said looked like. Didn't you say he looked like someone that Australian drag queen? Oh, Anita Wiglet, yeah, out of drag, <laughs> out of drag. But anyway, those three kidnap Forrest, but Steven and the way they're able to capture him is Miranda Richardson feigns this like fake romance with Forrest Whitaker to lure him into where they basically hold him hostage. And Stephen Ray is the main one watching Forrest Whitaker and they become friends. Mm -hmm. And this is over the course of like a day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not like he's been held captive for weeks and weeks. It's like before nightfall, they become friends and it's decided that they're going to kill Forrest Whitaker. So Stephen Ray says, well, let me do it. But part of that friendship is uh, Jody, Forrest Whitaker shows him a picture of his girl, Dill. Yeah, at a point, yeah. And, and, he, and he tells him like, listen, I know you're gonna kill me. So will you please just find my girl? And look out for her. And look out for her. So Stephen Ray takes Forrest Whitaker out to kill him and then Forrest Whitaker like runs, but not like, he, it, it's almost kind of cute. Like, come on, we're friends. You're not going to shoot me. And he starts running. And then, oh my gosh, the people talk about the shock of finding out that Jay Davidson's character is trans. I thought the biggest shock in this movie is Forrest Whitaker is running from Stephen Ray and we think he's going to get away. And he runs into the street and a huge ass tank mm -hmm. like hits and kills him. <laughs> Because the British Army is looking for him. Because, and then the British Army lights up the IRA's like little headquarters mm -hmm. in the woods. We can get back to that. But anyway, then we fast forward and Stephen Ray is now back wherever Forrest Whitaker's from, the big city. Mm -hmm. Is it? Are, are we told are they in like Dublin or something? I don't know where they are. Yeah, it's not clear to me where they are. Like, or maybe they're back in the UK. They're in the UK. Yeah. Oh, so it wouldn't be Dublin. Okay. But it looks like they're in a big city. And Stephen Ray's looking for Dill. And working construction. He works in construction and Dill is a hairstylist. Stephen Ray finds her and they, they kind of start dating, but he it's they're in London. Oh, they are in London. Okay. It's weird because. Stephen Ray keeps asking because Dill has portraits of Forrest Whitaker in her apartment. All over. All over. Oh my God. And she he keeps asking her about this guy and she's like, God, like <laughs> And his like cricket uniform. 
But I guess every their story culminates with like the like they've been intimate kind of like heavy I don't know what kind of petting they were doing, but they we see them kiss and then one night they're about to have sex, I guess. So Dill gets naked and that's when Stephen Ray sees that she has a penis. Mm-hmm. And immediately becomes, you know, and sick. he has a violent reaction. No, he he retches in the bathroom. He and vomits. Then, and yeah. then he says he's sorry. He does hit her, but it's not like he meant to punch her as much as like he pushes her down. He on pushes the bed, her yeah. down and like bloodies her nose. But then we see him think about it. He tries to apologize. She doesn't want to have anything to do with them. But then she approaches him and they it's clear that he does feel something for her. And in meanwhile, he's also kind of protected her from another per, uh, a person named Dave, played by Ralph Brown, who you just saw in Alien 3 as 85. Who's kind of like, he's supposed to seem like a baddie, but he's really just, he's just obsessed a, with her. He's kind obsessed of. with her and he's toxic, but he's not. In a way that I'm sure many trans women can relate to of these guys who are like obsessed with them, but they want them to be their secret, but they want to control them. Just hanging around. Yeah. And, yeah. Lurking. And, and he's, he's kind of like that. And he's wearing track suits. So all the while, Miranda Richardson is like, has a stronghold on Stephen Ray because she's like, we still have work to do because what? you need to assassinate some political figure. Well, no, he ran away. in the melee. He ran away. So he, he did, yeah. He, he disappeared. So, so she found him. She tracks his ass down. And she says, uh, I should kill you, but instead we've decided that you're going to be the one to assassinate this British political figure. So everything culminates with him doing that, but in the process, there's a sh- there, there is a shooting. But... She, because due to Dill's intervention, she actually ends up tying Stephen Ray up when he's supposed to do this assassination, which reminded me kind of of Lena Vertmuller's Love and Anarchy. But so But in the end, all three find themselves in an apartment. Miranda Richardson, Stephen Ray, and Dill, Jay Davidson's character, and Dill ends up killing Miranda Richardson. Mm-hmm. So now Jude. It would seem that Stephen Ray and Jay Davidson are free to pursue something. Cavort Gallivant. In, in, in peace. Uh yeah, this movie was uh much better than i guess i because like you already mentioned and for my reference i just always thought it was like that one trans movie that mm-hmm. everyone you know is the butt of a million jokes and like other Ace Ventura, movies. Woo. yeah but um here let me but uh, you know i'm not gonna say it's uh <sighs> It, I, I, it does not feel like an exploitive film to me. They try to give Dill some interiority, and I feel bad for this this character. Um, but you know, it, the way that her gender identity is revealed is also, you know, it's we're supposed to have this reaction, and then it's funny how the culture at large tries to put it back in a box. And I think something like the Academy Awards and their gender categories does something like that. Cause it's like immediately, you know, Jay Davidson getting nominated for best supporting actor. Uh, <laughs> that it's like, it's we're, we're bringing you back into your, the gender fold. I don't know. I'm just going to go through my notes. So when Forrest Whitaker's characters run over by the tank, like the British army tank. And then they find the headquarters for this little IRA group. They blow that joint up to smithereens. It was pretty entertaining. <laughs> not, not because I have some political uh, stance on it, but just like, it, it just was like, Whoa, they are. And then they somehow Miranda Richardson and the other guy still they get, got away. Yeah. They, they, they still get away. <laughs> um, well, the, you know, the IRA, they're tough. So Dill's little boyfriend, Dave, he's mad because Dill's moved on with Stephen Ray's character. So he shows up one day at her apartment, uh, like yelling at her, and she throws out all of his clothes <laughs> from like the third floor window. Mm-hmm. And then she throws out his goldfish. Yeah. She, she like he have... has like three little goldfish in a bowl, and she throws that entire bowl out the window. <laughs> she didn't have to do that. <laughs> she did not have to do that. Okay. The 
I, I think probably the most interesting, well, a very interesting uh, portion of this film is the bar dill frequents. The Metro. The Metro, which is, when we first see it, we I assumed it was a gay bar or some sort of queer space. Sure. But then once we enter, it's like, oh, no, it seems like a mainstream bar. And the bartender is played by... Jim Broadbent. And it's there that Stephen Ray and Dill, you know, develop a relationship. But I felt bad for the bartender because Dill engages him Mm -hmm. so much. Like when she first meets Stephen Ray there, she's telling the bartender like, oh, tell him this. What did he say? I feel bad for that bartender. He seemed to enjoy the camaraderie. But the most interesting part is when Dill gets naked and Stephen Ray realizes she has a penis. Then she goes, well, you didn't know. She's like, I'm surprised you didn't know. Because when we're at the bar, it, it just seems like a sort of a mainstream bar. Right. Yeah. But then after, but uh, yeah, it's funny how after, after Stephen Ray realizes she's trans and then we see him in the bar, then it's like very obvious. Then it's like, Oh my God, I suddenly see all these characters that, also presents to me as trans but that was i mean it i mean that's the filmmaker's choice right yes. because originally like when we're these people weren't in the scenes we saw they prior were not extras in those no scenes but in the no. scenes after it's like oh yeah this is which you already brought up the film woo but there is a trans nightclub in woo mm-hmm. and so it reminded me of that what year was woo 98 also oh, several years after yeah because they make a joke of this movie in woo mm-hmm. um the and we see in that bar dill performs the song the crying game which of course boy george sings on the soundtrack and i thought she she's pretty captivating Mm -hmm. yeah she's pretty captivating i read that she was uh plucked uh somebody saw her at a rap party for Derek jarman's edward the second and so this must have been casting about about then uh, it was a fashion photographer and then would did not like the attention that, that they received um, and w- was offered Stargate, of course, and turned it down and asked for a million dollars thinking that that she'd never get that. And they, they gave it to her. So that's why she's also in Stargate, but uh, has since gone back into fashion photography. But even. Yeah, I was reading that about him as well, is that he first of all, he's not trans and. uh like he identifies as, I That's think, true. I think That's his true. pronouns yeah. are he, him, yeah. Jay Davidson. And uh, yeah, that he did not like the attention from being famous. But imagine, well, because I also read that he felt like, you know, everyone knew him for this role and that being an effeminate gay male is not desirable within the gay community. Mm-hmm. So he, he had a hard time with that because people saw him that way. Yeah. And then all the nasty jokes that were being made. And like you mentioned, he didn't think they'd give him a million dollars and they did. So he did it, but that was it. But even reading um, interview snippets of, of Davidson's at the time, it's sad to hear him say uh, like he felt bad for Stephen Ray, like having to kiss him. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. Well, I mean, that seems like he's just being sensitive to the fact that I'm sure people made jokes to Stephen Ray about kissing yeah, but a man. But it's basically. like nobody's twisting Stephen Ray's arms and his buddy directed. No, me. and he's probably not saying that. Like no, he's saying that he. I'm, I'm sure he would say very nice things about the experience. But. Probably, but it's just it's sad to me, like where queer people go in their heads when. Well, I think when you're disenfranchised, you you have to sort of rationalize things for other people. Like you have to learn. Some of us are good at putting ourselves in other people's shoes mm-hmm. and trying to be sensitive, and some of us are. They don't give a shit and Uh they're very out loud and abrasive. But yeah, I mean, I have to talk about Dill's hair because when we first meet her, she has a beautiful head of like long curly hair and it's beautiful. And then at a point, because Miranda Richardson is threatening Stephen Ray by saying like, I'm going to get your little girl too. Mm -hmm. So he comes up with the bright idea to make Dill look like a man Mm -hmm. which the trauma that that yeah that scene was very interesting because it's like he's basically stephen ray's manipulating dill Mm -hmm. but for his own 
her own good to save her life saying like i want to be with you but i would prefer you look like a boy and she's like what which is a lie which is a lie because he doesn't want that but he's trying to protect her so she of course is in love with him so she says yes and when he cuts her hair that shit looks so bad and then he puts her in forrest whitaker's cricket uniform which is five sizes too big which is exceedingly too large for her so she looks crazy Mm -hmm. and then they're like running i feel like that's drawing more attention than if (laughs) dill would have just stayed like dill right but so her with the short hair looked horrible but then when the when the dust settles and Miranda's dead, who, by the way, gets is pretty graphic because she gets shot in the neck. Yep, and we see does. her get shot in the Can neck. Can I also say, I really like Miranda Richardson in this I movie. do too. And I always think about her in AbFab when she plays um, Eddie's, like, in the, in the show, Miranda Richardson's character is supposed to be, like, this super, like, anal, like, super clean person. But Eddie hasn't seen her in a long time. So when she shows up to Eddie's house... Miranda has a kid and it's all chaos. And then Eddie ends up sleeping with Miranda's like baby's daddy in the episode. I also think she's good in Vivian Vile. Oh, and then she does another show with uh, Jennifer Saunders called The Life and Times of Vivian Vile. Which only had one season. Which you bought me the season and it's really good. But yeah. she plays. Um, she plays Jennifer Saunders' boss. And she's this like rich woman who has a Spanish speaking nanny. And because she's so detached from raising her own children, now the kid only speaks Spanish. <laughs> yeah. So she can't communicate with her baby. <laughs> That's the best part of Miranda, that. You know, one of her early roles is Dance with a Stranger, which I want to say is 84. And she plays the last woman executed in the UK. Oh. Oh, she's she's been around for years. She's so good. But getting back to Dill's hair, after the dust settles and now she can be with, you know, Stephen Ray's character Fergus. freely, Fergus. Her new hairdo, because now it's grown out a little bit, based on the length, I would say that like a year has passed. Mm-hmm. Give me Whitney. I, that's what I wrote down. She's giving me Whitney in the I'm Your Baby Tonight yeah. video. It's kind of a mess. <laughs> it's not the best. But uh, but Dill looks amazing before her hair gets cut. It's funny. The film opens with um, the song When a Man Loves a Woman hmm. and then closes with an equally gendered kind of pop song. But it it's just I, like it, clearly Jordan was aware of playing with the <clears throat> lyrical content well well songs. playing with this uh how you know just how goddamn conditioned we are uh, to see the world in a certain way and i don't believe neil jordan is a queer filmmaker in any respect but it is clear to me that his filmography showcases a, a whole litany of of characters that are that are non-binary in a way that that are that are like the the vampires in Interview with the Vampire, the, the, the straddling two worlds, the living and the dead. And he would later revisit vampires in Byzantium or the mermaid film he did that I don't like, Undine. Undine. And uh, he, he he revisited trans people again. And there's a character in The Good Thief uh, with Nick Nolte. And I'm trying to think, or Killian Murphy in Breakfast on Pluto. I avoided this movie for so many years because I thought, oh, it's going to be a hard watch because I don't want to see a trans woman be treated poorly. But, and there is some of that in this film, but it is so different from what I thought. It's like a legit thriller. It is. And and I think it's doing very interesting things again that aren't, I think it's trying not to be exploitive and, you know, because I feel bad for Dill's behavior makes sense to me, falling in love with all these men. uh, And she even has a line that uh says you know you you know that's that's dill you you treat me nice and i'm in love with you and it's like well but it makes sense right people who don't get the attention they need latch on to any attention right so it's yeah it's it's interesting i wouldn't know anything about that but Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) i don't want any attention but what would you give this movie i think four out of five i i think it's just a film note, you know, clearly it had, uh, it got rave reviews and a bunch of Oscar glory, but uh, I, I think it's worthy of being recuperated in a way. I think it's excellent. I would give The Crying Game four out of five. What do we have this week? We're going to see The Blackening. The Blackening, Indiana Jones and the Dial Tone of Destiny. 
Is that really what it's called? Uh, it's the the dial, dial tone the of dial. Oh, the dial of destiny. <laughs> I just think dial tone's funny. I have no interest in watching that movie, by the way. Oh, I, I was hoping I could convince you to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, maybe if you uh, help me prepare for the day, there'll be time for that. Uh, okay. <laughs> Threats. Uh, Threats. <laughs> Maintaining the house you also pay for. <laughs> Nick doesn't want to have. Nick, Nick doesn't want to participate in his life beyond the two things he likes to do. <laughs> That's not true man maybe you clean up this house and we'll maybe we could watch that movie uh extraction so, two extraction two the flash the uh, yeah and then in about 45 minutes we're going to record a video with the ladies from the diagnosing movies and sitcoms podcast yes um i can say what the movie is because we did a poll mm -hmm. uh we, we we gave people the options and overwhelmingly waiting to exhale Yes. Won the poll. It did. So we're going to talk about waiting to exhale. I'm a, I am I think it's going to be a fun conversation. Yeah. Because there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to talk about. <laughs> and there's a lot of bullshit going on in this movie. That's true. But we're going to have that. So I'm assuming, oh, because Asteroid City drops on Monday tomorrow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'll probably, maybe I'll drop waiting to exhale on Tuesday. Okay. Because we, are we watching anything Monday? Probably Extraction 2. Oh, well, well, we're going to have a lot of videos this week, coming week then. Mm -hmm. So that sounds stressful. Anyway, what else would you like to say? <sighs> no, I can't think of anything. Uh, well, again, thank you to everyone who sponsors the podcast. If you'd like, you can go to Spotify and give us some money on a monthly basis. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm. Oh, I also wanted to mention, speaking of uh, asking for shit and me complaining about all the things, I hate when like salespeople tell you that you're going to be sent a survey mm -hmm. and to give them like five stars or 10 or whatever the rating is. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me what to give you. Why don't you give me good service so that when I do get the survey, I'm compelled to give you a top rating. I hate that. I know. you. Do. Isn't that presumptuous? It is presumptuous, but most people are easily manipulated and guided in that way. So that's why they do. It, it. seems so like, like you're not self-aware. That could be part of the problem too. Yeah. Like, I don't think that you gave me 10 star service. I wouldn't even give you seven star service. Like I'm probably going to give you a six now that you're asking me, like you're really, like you really thought you gave me cream of the crop service, cream of the crop service, LLC, <laughs> cream of the crop service, LLC. <laughs> um, are you going to, you're doing a poll today? Are you for what for the next, next live? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll probably drop it the poll tomorrow, mm -hmm. but I think the theme, I, I was thinking the theme could be no homo Oh, and it would be gay movies with like straight male. So like Brokeback Mountain oh, or Call yes. Me By Your Name okay. or, I mean, those are only two I can think of. <laughs> well, I'm sure a, you could think, there's a lot. I'm sure you can think of three others, there are a but lot. I was hoping to get five films that are kind of equally, cause I think Brokeback Mountain and Call Me By Your Name could split a vote well or so you, i would like to get like an even bigger split or you could call it gay face or gay for pay gay for pay yeah maybe i'll call it gay for pay anyhow i'm all done ta-ta for now bye <laughs>